Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is Cafe Mocha? Cafe Mocha is experts, celebrities. What's up? This is Belbid DeVoe. You're truly Idris Elba. This is Fantasia. This, this is Invo. This is India Ari. So much more. All from a woman's perspective. What flavor are you, baby? This is Cafe Mocha. Beth Ann Hardison was a model in the 1970s and fought for diversity in the fashion industry, known as the godmother of fashion. She's also Kadeem Hardison's mom. She talks about both in her new documentary, Invisible Beauty. Beth Ann Hardison is our guest on Cafe Mocha. Angelique, along with Lonnie Love, did you go? Did you go, Lonnie? Uh, yeah, I went to experience the magic of Beyonce Knowles Carter and her birthday. Uh, she was at the SoFi Stadium in LA celebrating her birthday. And I tell you, that girl, oof. first of all, it was one for the ages. All the celebs were there. It was jam-packed. Yeah. And we had the infamous Miss Diana Ross, the boss. She came through and surprised everyone. And um, uh, Beyonce came running behind her and they hugged and embraced. And then um, Diana led everyone into singing happy birthday to uh, Beyonce. And it was just a magical moment. It was historic. I mean, everything that Beyonce does is, but this, this um, experience, it's like, okay, the way they have it is that they have the Renaissance Club part, which is on the floor. And you stand the whole time. Of course, I didn't want to do that. I was sitting in the seating area. <laughs> and, um, but she is, uh, it's just a, a whole total experience. So even if you don't know all the songs, it's about the energy of being there. That is so great. Um, Prince uh, Harry and Meghan Markle. Uh, we're in the suites. Uh, they had, um, of course, Tyler Perry was there. Oprah, Tracy Ellis Ross, uh, Timothy Chalamet. And, you know, just it was celebrity after celebrity, people dressed in the silver. And she's asked everybody for the last 14 or 18 shows of this tour that's finishing up to dress in silver, coming to uh, dress in all silver. She's been recording. Um, and I do believe that she will probably have a, a movie out the way uh, Taylor Swift. Now, this is the mm -hmm. thing. Taylor Swift is putting out a major a movie and people are like, well, it's a strike. How is she putting out a major movie? Well, this is how smart Taylor Swift and her team is, is that they actually did a deal with AMC theaters for uh, U.S. distribution and um, Cineplex um, distribution for worldwide directly. So she's not going through a studio. Right. She's basically adhering to whatever the, um, you know, the SAG after whatever is. It's coming out in October. When I tell you, Angelique, them tickets, AMC was flooded. 
they they knew that they were going to get flooded. So they changed their ticketing system to handle the flood of requests online that they were going to get for those tickets. I mean, hats off to Taylor Swift. So I believe that that's what Beyonce, Beyonce will probably do the same thing with her movie and put it out on a big screen. Hell, there ain't nothing else happening. Nope. She about to make a whole bunch of money. (laughs) That's the truth. This is so great for fans because so many people couldn't afford the tickets. I mean, Ticketmaster and the way they handle things, prices just get jacked up so quickly and no matter what they do. And I don't I'm not saying Ticketmaster really is trying to curb prices. They sell those tickets, people gobble them up and then they resell. Those companies do the resale thing and jack them up double and triple. And the average person can't afford to even go. So for her to make a movie for her, you know, her hardcore broke friends. I mean, it it just makes sense. It does. You know, another avenue. And, you know, you've had successful concert movies in the past. You had Raw. You had uh, Richard Pryor live on Sunset. So I think this is this will be in the vein of that. I also want to quickly mention that um, I went to the opening of the play, the musical, The Hippest Trip, the story of Soul Train. And, oh, okay. Where? And where? This was in San Francisco. Okay. Um, this is where they're, they're workshopping it. Um, to prepare it for Broadway. Uh, the book writer is my homegirl from Detroit. Her name is Dominique Mezzaro. It's just a wonderful, uh, Questlove is one of the executive producers. We went up to San Francisco for opening night. Uh, Blair Underwood was there, Coleman Domingo, um, the cast from P Valley. Um, it had a lot of uh, great support from um, from people, and it really is a wonderful. Uh, Tony Cornelius, who is the the son of Don Cornelius, is also the executive producer, and um, it, it will well be on its way to uh to Broadway. They're gonna uh stay there at San Francisco, keep workshopping it, probably take it somewhere else and then, you know, get it to Broadway. And this would be because Dominique was nominated for a Tony for Ain't Too Proud to Beg. And so um she gets this to Broadway. She would, you know, I'm pretty sure she would get another uh Tony nomination, mm-hmm. which is great for um a storybook a uh, writer for um, a musical of this nature, but it really, it took you down memory lane. I met uh Cheryl song, who was the, the long haired Asian that you oh, always yeah, saw. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it's really a great, a great musical that takes you back. It tells the story of Don Cornelius. And also it tells the story of some of the, the dancers that we know, like Rosie Perez and Jody Wadley um, and Howard Hewitt. And it was just, it's really a, a good, a good place. So I was excited to go up there and help support. And this is what we have to do, you know, because we, you know, now that we're not doing movies, it's like, well, we still have Broadway, you know, we still have um, uh, plays that are going all around the country. So, you know, in addition to movies, if you know of plays that are happening in musicals, I would suggest that you help support because there are a lot of black musicals right now. They're working on the Wiz. Deborah oh, nice. is working on that. And uh, Candy and uh, Todd are also executive producers on The Wiz. So that's something that's anticipating. Um, the Michael Jackson musical is still out there. And it is Broadway. so good. 
It is so good. So they're still like, you know, we still can support and everything while, you know, we're waiting to uh to to get back get to back to work. work. Yeah, so definitely. So that strike is you that. That strike is costing LA and California itself billions of dollars. Billions. Billion. I'm surprised the governor, the mayor, and these people are letting it go on so long. I mean, they're gonna have to get a I believe a, a federal mediator to come in. And because they, they just they're just not talking, so they're gonna have to step in really soon. So we'll see. All but right. there's always theater. Yes, <laughs> darling. <laughs> it's Cafe Mocha. It's Cafe Mocha. She's known as the godmother of fashion. Beth Ann Hardison was a model in the '70s. Fought for diversity in the fashion industry and a new documentary called Invisible Beauty debuts this weekend. It tells her story. Welcome to Cafe Mocha, Beth Ann Hardison. How are you? Thank you so much. I am feeling pretty good. I woke up this morning, so that was exciting. <laughs> you know, it's yes. always exciting when we wake up. <laughs> you know first of all i just want to commend you but we want to want you to take us back because a, a lot of listeners who are, aren't in the fashion industry they don't know the really important people that made uh, the revolution possible take us back to when you were modeling and what was it like being a black woman well that was easy i grew up in the garment business so that was easy i was educated by the the Jewish people who ran that business, and I'm very proud to come from the garment industry. Uh, uh, as a, a black woman, I mean, I was a young woman. I'd say a little bit over a girl. And so I didn't seem to have anything other than they just believed in me, and they just kept giving me a different opportunity. Even when I would mess up at that job, they would say, okay, let's take her out of that department. Let's try over here. And so I, I always had a great deal of support, and people always believed in what I was capable of doing that I didn't think I was even capable of, but they all believed in me and helped me to get where I'm, where I actually, I think actually gave you, gave me a, like a good bit of like foundation to add to whatever I already had to uh, give you the opportunity to learn and, and grow and, and, and have confidence because they, people believe in you, even though at the time I couldn't see what they believed in. Mm-hmm. But I think as I reflect back, I can, I get a better grip of it all. It's like in hindsight, even with writing the book, you sit there and you start to talk, you realize the things that you, you know, that you're dealing with and what you come, where you come from, because you don't know where you come from when you're in it, mm-hmm. you know? So it's been very interesting for me, even to, to complete the film, you know, and, and to watch it when, it, when you do all the work and then Frederick says, okay, I got seven hours. I love, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show you Frederick uh, Shang is my co-director. And he says, I'm going to show you four hours of it. And I want you to tell me what you think. He, he was so nervous to show it. But I was, I, I, that's when I became a believer. I said, okay, mm. now I see I have a story. Because until then, I, I couldn't see the clarity of any story. So being a black woman growing, growing up in the garment district was quite different. Because it wasn't like I was, you know, I had roadblocks and terrible moments where things weren't, they, people weren't allowing me to get any place. They were constantly pushing me forward. How were you treated as a model, even though you weren't the so-called light-skinned model? Oh, yeah. I mean, in general, yes, all good, all good. But there was just that beginning when I started to go across the road, you know, across the 7th Avenue where all the top designers were at the time. And Mm -hmm. I did that first show where basically I had never done that before. And 
I was like the new wave. I was a kid who came along that looked so different than what the average brown girl or black girl was looking like at that time. You know, they were a little bit more conservative and more sophisticated looking. And I was a little bit like more of an edgy kind of, you know, you could see it was a different, <laughs> a different time was getting ready to happen. And so uh, I had that experience. I never thought it was because I was, I said that to people often. I never thought it was because I was black. It's just that when I walked out, I think I just shocked the audience, you know. They were so surprised. But mm-hmm. what I looked like, they hadn't seen anything that looked like me before in those in those particular instances where it was in the showrooms. Because at that time, designers back in the day, you know, they presented all their showrooms in the uh, uh, presented all their collections in the showroom. I think that was my only, I think really, I mean, there may be a couple of times in Paris you, you wish that you'd gotten a certain gig that you didn't get. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, in all the, at that time, there was still a mixture of people in, in different colors. So you couldn't blame it on you being your race. It could just, you blame it on, they just don't like me. Or I'm not their type. Or I didn't get booked for that, you know, like that. Let me ask you this. You know, there's been a longstanding rumor, probably a fact, that Vogue and other magazines don't want to put a single black woman on the cover because the magazines don't sell. Um, do you see that changing? And what do you think of today's models when it comes to diversity? Well, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of models of color, that's for sure. And some of the Asian girls are finally coming back. I'm happy to see that. Um but there was a time where, you know, and, I be- and you know, people say, oh, you don't believe that. Well, I mean, it's an unfortunate thing to say, but I did believe it. Because I know oftentimes when society starts to change, then things start to change. And I think at that time, you know, if you went to see, there's not going to be a lot of white people going to go see a black film. A film that's all cast of all, you know, all people. Of, I mean, you know, they're not going to, that's not going to be the first thing they go to watch. So I could almost imagine that, you know, if they had to do the sales and do the, the, the figures, that maybe if they, a magazine with a girl of color on it, they wouldn't think that it, it's, it's being done for them or they wouldn't think that it's, it's right for them or it's not speaking to them. I can imagine that was true. But in the same sense, we couldn't let that stop us from helping to change and help to educate the minds of others. So the idea really was to if they get used to seeing things, that's why I use the model industry and the, the fashion industry. If they get used to seeing, you know, girls and boys on, of color on the runway in the editorials and advertising, then it, it, it gets to be normal. And it has happened that way, you know, where now it's, you know, not such a, uh, you, know, you see so many girls of, of color, so many boys, especially coming mostly out of West Africa too. I mean, so many. And, and, it, and it's been going on, I'd say, Nicely since 2015 for sure. Um, it, it, it happened. In, it started in 2014, but I could say that the 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 discovery of the um, the African girl. I mean, that's very strong. Mm-hmm. So I think right now we're in a place where people are, you know, have embraced it. Businesses have embraced because the clothes look good on the kids, and no one's saying, "Oh my God!" No one is going back and making them feel uncomfortable because everyone's doing it. Definitely, they've progressed. It's Cafe Mocha yeah. online. Beth Ann Hardison, she's known as the godmother of fashion. Her new documentary, Invisible Beauty, is released September 15th. Can you tell us about this wonderful documentary? Because I've seen the trailer. I'm going to watch it tonight. But how exciting is it to have a documentary about you and your life 
Well, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, I want to, you know, where I think I keep thinking there are gains. Like there are certain places that you know it happens where you say, whenever I was thinking about making a film, I it, before it was a film about Bethann, I always would hope that you know I wouldn't mind being with Magnolia. I, I used to say that because I love what they chose, you know, and so, and you you. <clears throat> You do this almost like a duty. You don't do it like, and you and you gain pride after it's if it's complete and people want it. Like when we got selected for Sundance, or when we got selected, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to show to an all teenage uh, audience that, that that you're being shown constantly that what you've done is something special, and that it's good and it's it's a and it's a crowd pleaser and and that. I don't even want to tell you too much because I should punish you because you haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I've seen the trailer though, and that's the thing. I know. That's what my guy in Morocco said. He said, "Hey, why didn't you tell me about the trailer?" I said, "I don't want. I don't even like to tell people the trailer. I like people to walk in the theater, don't know what they're going to see, and sit down and enjoy the ride." But, but you know, this you're is right. Japan. This is your history. This is like. Yeah. You know, I just feel like everybody should document themselves. And for something like this fashion, which we've seen people of color, you know, struggle in. And we're talking about at a time, like you said, th- your perspective, you know, I that's why I wanted to talk to you first before I actually watched it, because I yeah. wanted to really hear your perspective from it. And now I'm getting something totally different from you because your your confidence and the way you feel about yourself, and I can imagine back at that time, I can see why you made it. <laughs> it's like to be just totally. Yeah, I was meant to. It was. It wasn't anything I did extra. It's just that I was meant to. It's destiny. I, I, I really mean it. Yes, you don't. You come on the earth. You have the right stuff. You got the right deck of cards. You're gonna play them because you got the right deck. It's because it's destiny. And and and, and there are different people come on earth to do different things. And I knew especially when I started writing, I recognized all the things I had achieved by the time I was 12 years old. I was thinking about, but the way I was, the, the freedom that I had because I was a latchkey kid and the things I would be interested in, I never had grandmother and mother that was like a helicopter people. You know, they were just like, what are you doing today? What are you going to do this weekend? And, you know, it was always something that I was able, I, I, I literally believe that many of us come to earth to do certain things. Um, and so in this particular case, that's it. I, I could say that many people say it when they watch the film, how, how graceful that's every, so many people use that word, the grace you had to do what you, while you did what you did. Um, and that's interesting to me because it wasn't aggressive. It mm. was, they could see that I was doing it, but I was, I was determined to hit the nail on the head because I believed in who I was poking, so to speak. Who I was talking to, I believe that they, once I said, you know, you keep doing this, this is racism, I knew that that was going to flip the switch because mm. I didn't think anyone in the industry really thought of themselves in that way. And so I think, you know, it's something that you really basically get an opportunity to see in a different way because now that the film is finished, of course, I can look back and, and you know, and I learned a lot about me too, watching it. I forget a lot of those things that happened uh, 30 years ago. I, I, you know, I said, oh, wow, I did do that, huh? Why did it like that? Yeah, you know, like that. So 
you learn. But as you were coming along, I, and I had, I had much more, um, let's say, um, consciousness, or no, much more patience about who and what the, you know, those who I, I sort of, you know, nicely attacked back in, say, even 2013, you know, and then imagine how I looked at something in 2007 and then before that in the, in the mid-90s, you know, because you're growing too and the industry is changing. Mm-hmm. So you had to figure out how to approach it in different ways. And that's why I think it's important for you to, you know, I do want you with, with love, I say this too, uh, to see the film because there's nothing I could tell you or would want to even to spoil. I want you to go in there and sit there and try not to cook while you're doing it. You <laughs> <laughs> have to get up and, and you know, because that's why I'm so grateful that I have, a, we have a distributor that's a dis- theatrical distributor because that's all I ever wanted. When we started making this film and we were at Sundance and we were in a special program, they would ask, what do you want to get from the film? And I would say, I want this film to be seen on a silver screen. I knew this is what was important for people to sit in a movie theater and watch this film with other other, uh, attendees in an audience so they can have that experience of going to a movie and seeing a film that has a decent, that has a cinematic feeling that you would get watching a good project. It's Cafe Mocha. We're talking to Beth Ann Hardison. The movie is Invisible Beauty in theaters this weekend. I want to ask you about your activism and did you find it or did it find you? When did you start becoming an activist? Well, activism is a very interesting word. I mean, people throw it around like they say friend and love and, you know, almost like sandwich. (laughs) <laughs> it, it's something that, you know, I, I actually, I always, you know, Iman loves the fact that I made this, you know, well, there's a lot of, when you see the film, you'll notice that too. There's a lot of quick-witted things I say. But activism has to remain active. That's something I coined, and I and I do say that, because I'm not an activist. There are moments I had to be an activist to get things, you know, shake things up. Advocacy, yes, it's true, because I'm always going to care about this one particular thing. But I think when it comes down to, uh, wanting to be an activist? No, that's a, yeah, you don't think you want to grow up and be an activist. It's not a, <laughs> some people wind up being that and they get paid for it. Um, but that's not, that wasn't me. I, I was basically just trying to change a problem that was in my neighborhood. And I wanted it to be adjusted as quickly as possible and to let those who, who had made that mistake, to me, a mistake, recognize what it is and how it affects and how. Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network, an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a yes. point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Ed- is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary Unky Divas in Vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities, Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, 
marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation. For advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective. Oh, they come off if they were, you know, guilty of these things. So I think well, for me, I, as a young person, I probably was being an activist in that way or some kind of way. Um, but I didn't see it that way. Even when I went to that all white school, uh, I, you know, I was being bused, but I didn't know that. I made the choice. I was supposed to go to performing arts. I wound up choosing this school because it was like different than anything else. It made me feel like I was going to go on a ride. So I think really you, you come away from being these things. It's a calling. And I think, uh, like you said, is it call you or did you call it? No, it's a calling. And then afterwards, you take your activist hat, you put it down and you just keep your foot on the clutch and you're an advocate. And you just know that you have to sort of like, you know, still be responsible for what you've created and hope that you don't have to go back in in activism mode. Her new documentary is called Invisible Beauty. It's out this weekend. More with Beth Ann Hardison coming up on Cafe Mocha. We're at Cafe Mocha Radio. It's Cafe Mocha. It's Cafe Mocha on the line. Beth Ann Hardison. Her movie, Invisible Beauty, opens this weekend. And I'm going to see it, definitely. And we want all our yes. listeners to um, Can you tell us what the Black Girl Coalition is? Or do I need to go look at the movie and then I come back? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. You know, you know, you're absolutely right. I think just a, a, a quick note about it. The, the coalition was... I started and I had Nate, uh, Iman come in and, you know, and support it. So we co-founded, so to, so to speak, together. But it was just to, to, to celebrate all the black models at that time that had started working editorially and being in fashion shows. And it had it was a next, you know, it had never happened before that way. And I wanted to find a way to do something to bring those girls together so they can, you know, use their celebrity. The only thing that you had to to be in the coalition was that you had to to be editorialized. I mean, if you weren't in the, in the pages of a magazine, then you weren't, you could be in the coalition. I needed that because that way, you know, their their celebrity, quote unquote, or being well known for something recognizable, would help change things. And so I just used that as a way because homelessness was doing a. We had a terrible time at homelessness in the eighties, and in, in our city. So I wanted to help you know, these small organizations that were helping homeless families. And children were double victimized. So I used this as a as a as a thing that we would do to sort of raise money and have these parties and you know have it at MK and all everybody came out. Everybody came out for mm-hmm. it because all these beautiful girls were going to be part of it. And that stayed for a while, for about four, five, six years. And then at one point, I decided to go up against the um, the advertising industry because they would they were not reflecting their consumer in advertising. Hmm. And that's when we became much more, a little bit more like uh, activists, 
the, the, the group of the, the models. And they were all from different agencies. They weren't all from my agency. Uh, and they got a chance to understand how to use their, their quote unquote, um, their recognizable faces, how they could use that to help do something for other people at the same time, show them that they can work together because a lot of times women can't work together. So you see, imagine mm-hmm. models working together. And then on top of it, black models working together. It's like, you know, you easily, that could, none of it could be maybe a success story, but they all, it always was because it really was something that just came along at the right time and they did it. And we had a great time for the time that it lasted. How do you define beauty? I don't. I'm really bad about that. I know people say, well, why did you name the film Invisible Beauty? Well, <laughs> that was <laughs> because uh, it was a great name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it a little bit to do with, uh, I think it gave me a little hint, like when I, the Invisible Man, but I think, uh, because everyone refers to models as beauties, and I used it when she was disappearing, that I could call it Invisible Beauty. It's Cafe Mocha on the line. Beth Ann Hardison. The movie is titled Invisible Beauty. It's released this weekend. You know, not only are you the the godmother of fashion, but you're also the mother of Kadeem Hardison. Um, What was it like in the 80s um, when he came on the scene and we fell in love with him and you being known as his mom? No, you know, look, you know, all along for so long, his teenage years, he any place he'd go, he was, you know, oh, this is Beth Ann's son. He could have to try to convince people he was my son. <laughs> so he started getting to clubs with his boys, you know. No, I'm serious, serious. Okay. So for so long, he had to be Beth Ann's son. Then all of a sudden, one day, I was Kadeem Hardison's mother. So it, the roles changed. <laughs> <laughs> and I just really, you know, was happy for him because he was, started acting when he was 14 and he had an agent and everything. And he, he worked, got nice little guard. But getting a different world was really great because of the what it was and how it affected our society. And mm-hmm. I'm talking about the dark side of the moon where so many young black kids that show made going to college cool. Kadeem being a nerdy, cool B-boy made a lot of young men who were like, you know, nerds feel better about themselves. Mm-hmm. It had a great effect on our culture and our society. So I was really very happy about that. And people just fell in love with him. And he was, he's a good actor. He was good at it. it but it, the problem only becomes that when you're so good at something and playing a character in such a way, you become typecast. So mm-hmm. then people think you can't do anything else. But if, mm-hmm. you're an actor. They, they can always do other things. But you had, that, that was a struggle getting us through that, that valley at, at, you know, after a different world went off. What was it like for you as a single mom raising him? The good news is I had other people, too, in my life. You know, my mother took him from me from the age of, from three years old to nine. Um, she could, you know, you'll see the film, you'll see what I say about that in, in, in it. Um, uh, and then once she came to live with me at nine, I just made, we made a, a, a pact, at least I did. You know, he, he he's young, he had to say yes. <laughs> I told him that, you know, I'll, find, I'll make sure I get the rent paid and you make sure you do well in school. So that was really pretty much it. And, uh, you know, his father is someone I'm, we're still close. We're close people. But he he wasn't like a, a big financial support. But I I know we had him as a friend. I always knew I could talk to him. And then I had a lot of male friends, two good friends. And uh, and like I said, my, I had my foster sister. She would always take him whenever I wanted to leave town, go out of the country, whatever. I had a lot of support. 
And, you know, when you need a little bit of an answer from something that you don't have the answer to, you call up one of your good male friends and ask them, what do you think about this? This is what I'm thinking to do in regards to this, in regards to Kadeem. And they would give me some guidance on it, you know. So you have support along the way, that which is nice in that way, too. Beth Ann Hardison, the movie is called Invisible Beauty. It's out this weekend. Thanks for joining Cafe Mocha. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Okay, you better rush on right now. <laughs> thank you for All the right, time. You. Yeah, I really appreciate you. Thank you and enjoy it. And let, send, let, send a note to Jackie or someone to say what you thought of it. I thank definitely you. will. Take care. <laughs> All right, you too. Bye-bye. Coming up this month on Cafe Mocha, we'll talk to Erica Campbell, K-Michelle of Love and Hip Hop, and we'll talk about going from trauma to triumph. It's radio from a woman's perspective on Cafe Mocha. Here's your dose of espresso. Strong, hot news now. This is the Espresso. I'm Angelique. Coming soon to Cafe Mocha, we talk to Gospel's own Erica Campbell of Mary Mary. I'm not coming out with no monkey on my shoulder and oh yeah now I'm a monkey like people just be doing stupid stuff and I think I'm still here because I'm just trying to be authentically me. K. Michelle drops by to talk about her country album. For so long I was told I could not sing country because of basically I guess how they thought a country singer supposed to look. It can't be because of how I grew up because that's exactly who I am and grew up. It's always my people that tell me a lot that I couldn't do country. And we'll talk politics with Joe Madison. Trump has never had to be as responsible for his lying, potentially could be crimes, as he has been in these last few years. Follow us on all platforms at Cafe Mocha Radio. That's the espresso. It's Cafe Mocha, Angelique, Lonnie Love, and Yo-Yo. What's on your mind, Lonnie? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of things that's been happening with Steve Harvey lately and his radio show. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Wait, I thought I heard something about Shirley Strawberry. Yes, but first, it was all dealing with Steve because Steve ended up... He put out this this tweet. And the tweet was basically a a question. It says, um, which comedian have you ever found not funny? Or something like that. It was a negative type of tweet. And, you know, when I saw it, I was like, this isn't something that Steve would would tweet out. I mean, he's not like that. His whole thing is about motivation, whatever. And so everybody got into like a little uproar. And some people were, you know, answering the questions, whatever, whatever, whatever. So... Steve makes a video and he's like, I'm fishing and I I see this tweet and basically he, you know, a lot of celebrities hire uh, social media managers and people because they can't do it. And so he said this was a new person and he said that the person, you know, said, oh, I did it because we needed to get engagement, which he got engagement, but it was the wrong <laughs> type of engagement. Right. So, you know, you had this, and then we have all these rumors swirling around about Steve and his marriage to Marjorie. And it's a lot of, it was like a lot of weird things and blogs picking up stuff. And you know how blogs are. Well, on top of all of that, yo-yo, Oh my God. All of a sudden, this leak phone call comes out from 
between Shirley Strawberry and her husband, who is currently incarcerated. And it was a jailhouse call. And in the jailhouse call, you know, Shirley is describing how she went to Steve's house and, you know, she describes how Marjorie is just a lavish house and Marjorie has her own sauna and, and everything gym and, and gym and, trainer. you know, and she kind of said, she kind of joked, she was joking. She was like, yeah, like, you know, we, you know, she wasn't there because, you know, Steve's scared of her or whatever. And it got out. <laughs> oh, and God. It, it, so basically with all this stuff happening with Steve and then with that, that, that leaked phone call, you know, um, you know, Steve addressed it on his morning show and, uh, Shirley gave a heartfelt apology. Oh she my basically, God. I mean, she was like, I, you know, she, you know, she was like, I was just running my mouth or whatever, but it was a private conversation. That's the one thing. And it's a private conversation between a husband and wife. And she really didn't say anything bad. She was actually, to me, it was like she was joking, you know? Yeah. But for her to stand up and to, you know, to to apologize publicly, you know, and then that led Steve to talking about all the people that's talking about his marriage and everything. And it was just like, you know, and, and I just want to say it was a big old apology. <laughs> it was a big apology. It was a big thing about how people, you know, spread uh, lies, gossip, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But the biggest thing that I got out of it is forgiveness. And the thing mm. that they all said was that, you know, we all talk about each other, you know, maybe behind closed doors, which is, you know, it's like we all may say, oh, this, this and that. He says, you know, there's nobody perfect. And to me, the lesson right. of all of that is the point of forgiveness and how it, it's so much easier to forgive than to sit back and be angry or mad and, you know, and understand when a person apologizes and gives a sincere ap apology, you mm -hmm. know, there's this mm -hmm. point of we need to learn how to forgive. And I can admire them for that because, you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure I've said something about Angelique. Oh, I'm sure you have. You know. So. Or me, or me, or me, or me. Don't leave me out. But am I? I'm good. I got to get her a man. Get Angelique a man. You know, I know, I, you know, probably when Lonnie goes get on that Peloton. It's, I don't care. So what do you say? And about me, Lonnie, and what and what about me? <laughs> like, oh, uh, why is she never around? What is happening? Yeah, we gotta do this show without you all the time. Fifty years of hip hop. Fifty years of hip hop. But here's the thing, though: you can forgive, you can forgive, and let's say forget, even though you never really do. But what happens when the person on the other side won't forgive you back? Well, that's Ooh, the thing. Leave them alone. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing you really can do. If you apologize, you've done everything that you can. You know, it is, yeah. it is not, it does not mean that that person has to forgive you. See, the forgiveness is right. not for the person. The forgiveness it's is for, for you. But still, yeah. I mean, it certainly helps when that other person accepts it and you come to a truce. Otherwise, it's just kind of a... But for some people, it's hard. And, you know, the thing is, is that you have to realize that this is why you have to be careful about mistakes that you make in life, because yeah. everybody doesn't everybody doesn't, you know, just brush it off, you know. And you know what else you got? to Listen, somebody's always taking you got to just you got to act like something's wrong with you. You got to assume somebody's always recording your calls. <laughs> 
That's true. I mean, ain't nothing private. No, nothing's private. Talk as if somebody's watching, listening to your conversation. But I think we, you know, in all the lessons again is about forgiveness, and forgiveness is more for you. You can't expect the other person, and you just have to deal with the fact that if they can't recover from what you've done, then that's just life, you know. And usually, in time, it, it, it happens, but you can't expect it to just be whatever so yeah we give our best yeah. I, I i i give my best to both steve and shirley and the whole gang um you know over there because you know it's it's really hard to stay problem free in this in this you know society it's really hard you know especially when you're successful the good thing about them the good thing about them is that they're family so yeah. i'm pretty sure that they'll work family business out they That's really fine. are family we're going to wrap this topic up, but uh, Lonnie, I love how you glossed over the fact that he's in prison, but that's okay. We didn't you know what? I'm not going to gloss right over that. <laughs> anyway, anyway. I'm not going there either. You know what? It's cafe yeah, we're not mocha. talking about it. Messy. Cafe mocha. If you miss any part of the show, make sure you go to wherever you listen to podcasts, type in Cafe Mocha Radio. Click subscribe, listen to the whole show uninterrupted without the music or the commercials. Until next weekend, you know where to find us on all platforms at Cafe Mocha Radio. Stay close. More Cafe Mocha is on the way. Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network, an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a yes. point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Ed- is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary Unky Divas in Vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities, Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation, For advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective.